Psalm 102. I'm going to read here the first 11 verses, and then I'm also going to read verses 23 and 24 as we did last week. We're only going to consider one verse tonight, and that's because we've got to do a little legwork in order for us to really get the full impact on what this affliction entails. So let's read this together. Psalm 102, beginning in verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. In the day when I call, answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread because of the loudness of my groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I have become like an owl in the waste places. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath, you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass. Verse 23. He has weakened my strength in the way. He has shortened my days. I say, O my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Our text for tonight is in verse 3. For my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. We've noted here that this psalm is messianic. And the reason why we know that it's messianic, first of all, has to deal with the inscription that it is a prayer of the afflicted. Or you could could translate it this way, a prayer of the afflicted one when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So if you're just reading it for the first time and really have not really thought through and thought about other passages, what we know is is that the person voicing this is someone who is severely afflicted. And as you read down through that, you just get that idea, right? That he is sorely, sorely afflicted. And not just in a moment or in a short season. He has been afflicted all his what? All his days he has been afflicted. But as we look down and come toward the end of this psalm, in verses uh, 25 through 27, what we find when we turn to the New Testament, where those passages are quoted in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, What we find out is that the writer of the book of Hebrews, in that exhortation or in that sermon that he delivers to a certain group of people, he actually mentions under inspiration 
that the afflicted one is the incarnate Son. That verses 25 through 27 is God addressing the Son. So therefore, He is the one that is the afflicted one. And this is really the man of sorrows who knows grief, as Isaiah chapter 53 mentions. And folks, I think it's very, very important for us, especially in the context of our nation. We have grown up in a nation of plenty. I think that's really an understatement if you think about it. You compare it to other parts in the world. In fact, the majority of the parts of the world, everybody wants to come and live here. And so affliction, we are afflicted as believers because we are being conformed in the image of Christ. But I think it is good for us to sit back and just consider our own image or our own picture of who Jesus is in His humanity. He is a man of sorrows. That is his category. He is a man who knows grief. That is a category. And here in this psalm, he is the afflicted one. He's the model, as it were, of the afflicted one. Because, folks, he suffered all things, didn't he? In other words, the suffering that we experience as believers, and all genuine believers experience suffering, our suffering is in measure. His suffering was in fullness. And one of the reasons why our suffering is not in fullness is because we couldn't withstand it, number one. But number two, it's because we usually give in to the affliction. You don't really receive the fullness of an affliction unless you stand and continue standing until the winds of that affliction are exhausted. Right? How do you know a building's going to stand if a hurricane's coming? You know it's going to stand when the hurricane winds have what? When they have ceased. When they have exhausted itself against that house. Folks, all the winds of the evil one assaulted our Lord. And when all the winds had exhausted all of its evil strength, he stood with no sin in action, thought, or motive of heart. That's an amazing thing if you think about it. And so here we have this psalm as the psalm of the afflicted one who, as we noticed in verse 23 and 24, is at the end of his strength. He really thinks that he is about to die. And the daily grind of oppression, or if we're going to word it in New Testament language, the daily taking up his cross is crushing him. And so out of that crushing and out of that oppression comes prayer request. Verses 1 and 2. 
Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me without delay. And that's really what you want when you are in the midst of the winds of affliction. You want God to what? You want Him to answer. You don't want Him to wait a year. You want it to be done without delay. This is what the Messiah, the incarnate Son, is praying for. And we noted from the book of Hebrews, but we also noted in this book that this psalm is describing His days, His whole life. You'll see in verse 3 when it says, For my days. Again, in verse 11, my days. Verse 23, He has shortened my days. Verse 24, do not take me away in the midst of my days. He is describing the characterization of His whole life. And we need to remember this as we go through this psalm. One of the amazing truths that I walked away in verses 23 and 24 is this truth. That what we have is the incarnate Son that is walking in the way of the Lord. And yet, he's walking in the way of the Lord, and yet the Lord weakened him. And you'll see that. He has weakened my strength in the, in the way. And brethren, I just want to remind us, because we too are being conformed into the image of His Son, there's going to be things that come into our life that you're going to walk in the right way. You're going to make the right decisions. Your heart is going to be fixed to follow the Scripture. You are filled with the Spirit. You've gotten counsel. You know the way the Lord wants you to walk. You walk in that way, and the result of walking in that way is not that you get strengthened, but you feel weaker. And just as a way of antidote, personally, the more that I have grown in the Lord, the weaker I feel. Even though I may have human bodily strength to some degree, just in my spirit, I feel more helpless. Do you feel that way the more you grow in the Lord? More helpless, more weak, more need of Him. This is what happened in the life of our Lord. And folks, what the Lord, how the Lord responds to this is that He continues walking in the way of the Lord regardless of the circumstances of life, whether they were portraying God's approval or disapproval. Because folks, if you're going to be cut off from the land of living, if you're not going to live out half your days That's not a sign of God's approval, at least from the way the world looks at it. That's a sign of His what? His disapproval. And this is exactly what Isaiah 53 says about our Lord. We esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Everybody see that? 
So folks, there is a sense that events can happen in our life that even good Christian people, and what I mean by that is people who really love the Lord will look on your circumstances and come and say to you like Job's friends, you're not doing right. There must be something in your life where God would not have this happen in your life. Well, folks, we can say this with full certainty. Jesus Christ had nothing in His life. And yet this is what is happening to Him. He's not going to move away from taking up daily His cross. He's just not going to do that. He's fixed on this. Now these are circumstances that are coming into His life. In other words, he's not saying, oh, let's, let's go out and see how many enemies I can make today. He's not going out and saying, Let, let's see if I can collect in my bucket a bucket of reproaches so I can say, look, Lord, I'm reproached like you. He's walking in the way of the Lord, and this is the way people are responding to him. Now that brings us down to verse 3. <clears throat> which is an extremely enlightening passage on our Lord. I think when we first read it, I think that perhaps at best we might walk away and think about how he must have looked at being a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and how that affected him. But here in verses 3 through 11, the psalmist is going to describe his present condition from the viewpoint of his human body. Now, notice what it says here. Look at verse 3. My bones. Everybody see that? Verse 4. My heart. Verse 5. My what? My bones. Everybody see that? If you're talking about my heart, you're talking about me, the essence of me, my person. You talk about my bones, you're talking about my physical well-being, right? This is what he is describing here. And folks, I think that that we certainly can understand that in many cases, you can describe someone's present condition by observing their human body. We all know that what goes on internally and what goes on externally in someone's life has a huge impact on their physical condition. Am I right about that? Okay. It's not infallible, but it is a way to describe. And what we have is this, the present circumstances... In verses 3 through 11, the present circumstances are what gives reason for the afflicted one to think the Lord has hidden his face from him. He's got enemies. He's groaning, verse 5. He's lonely, verse uh, 7. He is desolate, verses 5 and 6. His days are coming to an end, verse 11. He feels cast away or abandoned. 
This is why he's praying, verses 1 and 2, don't hide your face from me in the day of my distress. And folks, just pausing right here, I have to say this, we are the same way. We are the same way. When you are afflicted, maybe you go to the doctor and you hear possible cancer. That's an affliction, isn't it? It's going to afflict you internally. You're going to have to deal with that. If you got a letter in the mail, dear so-and-so, the IRS would like to audit five years of your taxes. How do you feel? How would you feel? You immediately feel sick and guilty. I mean, immediately. You've got to what? you got to deal with that, don't you? And folks, when those circumstances come, or take a Bible example, let's take Job. He lost all of his family under unusual circumstances. Those were unusual circumstances. His whole family happening to be together all under one roof, except for him. The wind coming, what they never would have expected, the house collapsed. Those were unusual circumstances, right? Do you think Job felt stress? Do you think that he had to deal with his Lord and his understanding of the Lord? Do you think that if you were in that situation, you might say to yourself, Lord, why have you hid your face from me? I prayed for this to happen. I prayed for you to deliver me out of this. And it just keeps getting worse. We're no different, right, brethren? Even as Christian people, we are not immune to that. And what the Lord did in His affliction is instructive for us. He went to the Lord with it. Regardless of how He evaluated His circumstances. He went to the Lord with it. Now in verse 3, <clears throat> I'm going to begin by making a statement that you're going to raise your eyebrow at, and then I'm going to prove it. Okay. In verse 3, the afflicted one describes his condition of his days in terms of being a burnt offering. Okay, now I made that statement. Let's read it. My days have been consumed in smoke. My bones have been scorched like a hearth. The incarnate Son, the afflicted one, says that his days are coming to an end like smoke. That's what the word consume means. When you consume something, it's you're coming to the end of something, right? If you're going to eat everything on your plate, you start consuming it, it has an end. His days are coming to an end in smoke. Now at this point, <clears throat> I think what we can say is this. 
Whatever smoke is, smoke comes from something that is burning. Everybody agree with that? Okay, you got a candle, there's smoke that may come up from that. Okay, you got a bonfire in the backyard, you got smoke that comes up from that. So what we know is this, that his days are coming to an end, they're being consumed in smoke, as smoke that comes from a burning. That brings us to the second part of verse 3 when it says, And my bones have been scorched like a hearth. The word scorched refers to being burned up. Okay, so if you're making notations in your Bible, you just may want to draw a little line from the word smoke to the word scorched. Type in burned up because that's where the what is coming from. That's where the smoke's coming from, right? If you're going to be burnt up, if you're scorched, the result of that in a fire is what? Smoke. So his bones had been burned up, scorched like a hearth. Now folks, the word hearth here is a fascinating term. A hearth is a place where you would build a fire for cooking. Everybody with me? But in our Bible, there's another definition of this word. When you read the word hearth, that's exactly what you think of. A place of what? That you would build a fire to to cook something. But if you take your, your Bibles, and I want let's just turn to these passages. Turn to Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus 6, at the beginning of that chapter. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law for what? The burnt offering. The burnt offering itself shall remain on the hearth on the altar all night until the morning, and the fire on the altar is to be kept burning on it. The priest is to put on his linen robe, and he shall put on undergarments next to his flesh, and he shall take up the the ashes to which the fire reduces the burnt offering on the altar and place them beside the altar. Okay, everybody see that? We're just going to pause right there. Okay, this reference lets us know the word for hearth, a place that we would kindle a fire for burning, that that is accurate, 
but it is used in the book of Leviticus specifically addressing the burnt offering, a hearth that is on top of that what? On top of that altar on which the burnt offering was to be placed. Now when you place that burnt offering, that offering on that hearth, and the fire underneath it ignites it, it consumes it, doesn't it? What comes out of that offering? Smoke. And it is reduced, it is completely burned up, and the ashes from that are taken away, and it will go on and say where you are to take it. And if we go back to Psalm 102, there may be a reference to those ashes. Not sure about this, but it is fascinating. In verse 9, when the afflicted one says, I have eaten what like bread? Ashes. Ashes. Everybody see that? We won't turn there for sake of time, but again, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 15 and 16, he'll talk about the hearth and the dimensions of it and it being on that altar and that it was for the burnt offering. So if we look at verse 3 in Psalm 102, and we have this in our minds, For my days have been consumed in smoke. Alright? If we take that literally, what we want to know now is, where is the source of this smoke? My bones have been burnt like a what? Like a hearth. In our Lord's life, the source of the smoke in which His days have been consumed is literally, as it were, the burning of His human body. That He gave His life as a burnt offering for His people. Folks, is our Lord not called our sacrifice? Yes or no? That's the imagery. The imagery is that man, our high priest, placing himself on the hearth to be totally consumed as a burnt offering unto the Lord. And folks, when that burnt offering was presented to the Lord, and it was presented in faith by the giver of that burnt offering, this is what Yahweh would say, this is a sweet aroma in my nostrils. Right? Folks, our Lord's entire life was a living sacrifice. 
for my days. Did you hear that? My days have been consumed like a smoke. His whole life was a living sacrifice culminating in His giving His life as a sacrifice for us. Everybody see that in the text now. Now you know why I started out by saying this this is the afflicted one who is describing his days in terms of a burnt offering. And the Old Testament saints would have read that and would have recognized that if they were scripturally versed. And do you agree that in the days of Christ, in the days of the incarnate Son, that we could say that His days were a constant sweet aroma to the Lord? Three times our Lord says concerning Him, This is My Son in whom I am well pleased. But He's weakening Him. He's cutting short His life. How can this be? And the incarnate Son says, I'm going to walk in the way. I'm going to pray in the midst of this that He would strengthen me. That He would deliver me. And did the Lord deliver Him? I mean, folks, right away in his ministry, he opens the scrolls of Isaiah and he reads that. And at the end of that, they they take him to a cliff to cast him off to kill him. And the Bible says he just walked right through the midst of them. Is that a deliverance? But folks, we tend to forget the affliction that would have come upon him before the deliverance. It's an affliction for people to take you up and want to kill you. And folks, I just want to say this, that if we want to know what a sacrificial life looks like, here it is. If we want to know what Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is the Master. We're the best we could be is to be like the Master. Everybody following me? Folks, when we yield ourselves, and we should yield ourselves without question, and we say we're going to be a living sacrifice, I don't think in America we know what we're saying. Now, if you don't say it, then you don't understand salvation. Because an understanding of salvation motivates you to yield your body as a living sacrifice. 
His was the ultimate sacrifice. His is the model burnt offering. But when Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us to be a living sacrifice, it is referring to us being a burnt offering. That we would be willing to have our days come to an end in smoke and that our bodies would be totally consumed in the things of the Lord all our days. And folks, it does say that His is the ultimate and it also says that ours is in measure. It will be hard enough in measure. We share in His sufferings. We share. We don't take it all. He took it all. And folks, that might mean your health being broken. That might mean reproach by people you love. That might mean misunderstanding from people that you count dear or as friends. It might mean oppression by the world. It might mean a constant wrestling against your sinful flesh. It might mean that you'll have to bear injustice like He had to bear all His days. So what do we do? Do we sit around and say, okay, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to deliver us from this. Is that okay? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. And if He doesn't, I'm not going to serve Him. That's not like the Son. Everybody follow me. That's not like the Son. The Son of God walked in the way regardless of the circumstances. Whether they appeared favorable or not. Did Paul? Yes. Did the other apostles? Did the early church? We're following their same steps. But folks, it helps if we really understand who our Christ is that we are being conformed into the image thereof. A living sacrifice prays. It cries, Abba, Father, Romans chapter 8. It does ask for deliverance without delay, and we'll see later on why that's happening. But if it is delayed, and if you think God's face is hid from you, and you think your days may be shortened, and you think your cry for help is not being heard, what do you do? You keep walking in the way of the Lord. Keep walking. You don't stop coming to God's house. You don't say, well, if God's going to treat me that way, I'm not going to have devotions. Why should I pray? Look at what God's done to me. Those are wrong responses. 
So folks, I to me, this is encouraging. Because this is the way of the Lord. And His grace is filtered through all my circumstances. His strength is there for the weak. His help is there for the helpless. Did He help our Lord? Did He do it without delay? Well, you might say there was three days and three nights. But where is He now? He's in glory. And that's where I want to go to be with Him. So let's lift our hearts up to the Lord.